Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking about something that is complicated. So from the top, we are talking about wins above contract. So this is there's like three layers to this description. So we have LeBron, which is our all-in-one metric that just kind of tells you like vaguely how good a player is, right? It's the easiest way to describe it. Then on top of that, we have LeBron War, which you've probably heard this in baseball. So War is wins above replacement. So LeBron is a per 100 possession stat. War, you accumulate throughout the season, right? So it's like if you play a certain amount of games at a certain impact, you're better than the average player, right? So like Jokic, his war this season was extremely high. He had a war of almost 14. The idea was in the games that he played, in the impact he brought to the table, he was worth about 14 wins compared to a league average player. So basically, if you take Joker off of the Nuggets, the idea of the estimation of war is like that team is probably 14 wins worse. In reality, it kind of depends on the situation, right? Because this is something you can look at like when a player gets injured and things like that. But I think it's it's... This does matter, right? This is a good estimation, and it's it gets the point across. But there are things that can sort of throw that into uh, a discussion of kind of the unknown, depending on how the roster's built. So let's say you have one primary ball handler where everything is built around. Like you think of like Allen Iverson on the Sixers in the early 2000s. They couldn't score at all and they were a defensively built team. This is kind of a side tangent, but if you take the one scorer off that team, it's like, okay, that's going to be a really, really big problem because they're not going to be able to generate anything as opposed to a player like, like if you had Evan Mobley or Jarrett Allen get hurt, there's some redundancy on their roster of their skill set this year where like both of those players are really good and they both contributed to Cleveland's regular season success, obviously. But if you were to lose one of those guys for like half a season, obviously their war is going to be cut in half because they're not going to play very much, but they're still going to the team is still probably going to have like a pretty good defense again, because there's a redundancy of skill. So that was just like a kind of a quick caveat with what LeBron is. We'll call it, we'll just call it war for short. It's LeBron war, same thing. Uh, But again, war is how you, you, you accumulate that over a season by playing more. And then what we're looking at today is wins above contract. So what it does is it looks at your war and then it looks at your contract. And then there is, basically a projected value of what you should be producing, right? Relative to what your contract is. And then we use war to look at what you actually did. So again, the big difference between LeBron and war, LeBron is per 100 possessions. So again, if you play, your war doesn't change if you played at the same level, if you played 500 minutes or you played 3,000 minutes, right? If you played at the same level on those possessions, your, your LeBron doesn't change, but your war changes, right? Because you accumulate that war as the season goes on. So what wins above contract looks at is it looks at how much you get paid. And then there's the assumption on like what that value is, right? What that dollar amount is. And then it looks at your war, your contributions over a season. So how well you played and how often you played, right? And then it looks at how you performed relative 
to your contract. This, this is a very, this is one of the longest explainers in terms of like having to loop it all back at the end. But we're looking at wins above contract. Basically, like the short version of it is, hey, did you outperform your contract in your performance this year? So just like a caveat would be, you, you, this goes actually this this database is was made by Gabriel Guzman and he had it go all the way back to I think like 2010 or something. Today we're only going to look at 2023 just for for clarity. I think maybe in a future episode we'll go back, but something like Steph Curry in 2020 when he broke his hand, you know, he played like six games, so his wins above contract was extremely low. It was one of the worst seasons on record because the idea is he was paid a ton of money. And then he produced very, very little because it was obviously injury, right? It's not like Steph, you know, magically became bad in 2020. But that is how this stat works. So if you miss a lot of time to injury, you're not going to be able to outperform your contract. That's kind of the simple basics of it. So I wanted to look at the top 10 guys that outperform their contract. What you're going to see is this is going to skew younger, obviously, because if you're on your rookie deal, you're not getting paid the crazy money. And especially like in year three and year four, because again, a rookie deals four years if you're a first round pick, that value is going to be really high in year three and four if you're on your way to becoming a really productive player. Because again, you haven't hit that big payday yet, but you're still bringing like really legit value to the table because you're entering, you might not be, you're probably not in your prime yet in year three or four, but you're getting pretty close, right? Year four, like you might be like a year or two away. You might take the leap on that, you know, yada, yada, yada. So let's get into how long, how long was that? How long was that opening? I feel like uh, you got to cut me some slack. What I was trying to explain, I tried to explain a stat on a stat on a stat. So like we're, we're three levels deep into the basement. It's six minutes. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. So let's look at the top 10 performers in wins above contract here in 2023. So number 10, Houston, uh, Shangun. This is, uh, I don't know if analytics, darling, is the right term for him, but what's the hype train for, this is like a basketball nerds player. Shangun is uh, big on Houston. He was a post scorer last year. He's got a lot of moves. He's exciting. He can pass. He can't play defense yet, but he's a really interesting offensive big on Houston that has uh, quite a skill set. So like post scoring is really difficult. It takes a long time to develop having multiple moves. And he he's I mean, he's got some like nasty up and under stuff where it's like, oh, that's a that's an advanced move because to, basically the way post game works is like you have to have a post move that is automatic and then you build off that. So, well, I mean, actually, the first part of it is like you have to be uh, yeah, you you pretty much have to be bigger than the person guarding you to have a really strong back to the basket game. And you don't always have to be taller. Well, let me rephrase that. You probably need to have a strength advantage and a and or a how do I want to, you got to be big to play in the post. We'll just we'll, we'll scrap it at that. There's not there's not a lot of small players going into the post and when they do they're being guarded by oftentimes smaller players. <laughs> so uh, tangent over on what a post score is. But Shangun, he was 10th in wins above contract. He's a really interesting offensive player. Like I said, the value is not really coming from the defensive end at all. It's not end of the world defense, right? It's not, I don't really know how you play this guy, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's not very good right now. 
it's hard because he's not surrounded by very much defensive talent in Houston. But the offense is really intriguing. He's a young guy. Really interested to see where that goes. He's 20 years old. He's going to be 21 next year. It's going to be year three. And he's already outperforming his contract value where bigs that are young take a long time to develop. And he came in the league at 19 years old. So the future is very bright with him. And basketball nerds are super excited. Also, just another side thing. I saw him warming up and doing his stretches. The guy is freaky flexible for his size. Anytime you get to like, I don't know, anything above 6'8". And you get like insane flexibility that can often translate to you being able to do like unnatural seeming things for your size. They call it bend in football, right? So if you're defensive end, you come off the edge, you engage with a tackle and you're able to bend your body by like keeping leverage and staying low, but almost like wrapping around them. So he definitely has some of that. Something to be excited about. All right. Number nine on wins above contract Franz Wagner or Franz Wagner, Wagner, maybe I I remember Tim told me how to say it on an episode last off season, but he's a player Orlando kind of like a point forward that can handle the ball. Some people are really excited about him. He was a secondary ball handler last year, and he's a guy where the, the O LeBron is, is intriguing. The D LeBron also intriguing. He plays wing stopper. So again, not just an offensive only person looks like a two way player. He can shoot at some, he had a jump and overall shooting talent last season. There's a lot to be excited with him. So number nine outperformed the contract and Orlando, I feel like they are midway through their rebuild because sometimes rebuilds can be long and exhausting and tiring, but it looks like Paolo just getting to the free throw line that much as rookie season. That's really exciting. And then Franz is another guy where those two are the building blocks. I think everybody else on the team is probably movable if you would like, but there's some other guys on there that are intriguing, but I think those are the two guys you build around. Those guys are definitely exciting. Again, he's, 21 years old, going to be 22 next year. Uh, moving on, number eight in wins above contract. Again, this is outperforming your contract, your play relative to your contract. Desmond Bain, this is a guy I'm really high on. I think this is another sort of you know nerdy basketball. Guys that are really into the game are super high on him. He is kind of the next, well, I, like Clay Thompson in terms of, they're not really the same player, but just in terms of secondary star that is a hyper elite shooter coming off screens, spot ups, like his three point shooting is already among the best in the league. You know, both shooting guards, Desmond Blaine, Bain's a better defender. He's a plus defender. And then you saw things where it was like his rim shot creation and his floater and his playmaking took small jumps last year where he got a big extension. And he's one of those guys where I don't know where he's ultimately going to land in the league in terms of value. But he looks like a two-way player that is an elite shooter that has other things in his game that are blossoming. I think probably the biggest knock on Desmond Bain is he has very short arms. <laughs> he might be one of the few guys in the league with like a negative wingspan or just average wingspan. And that hurts him because he's not a huge guy, not a like super tall player. And then when you don't have that wingspan, because we actually were going to do a podcast on this. Me and Filippos, um, we looked into... 
your wingspan because basically like your height is one thing, but then there's your, I guess your standing reach kind of takes into account your wingspan. And then you have players like Taylor Horton Tucker on the jazz where I think he's six, four, but he has a seven, one wingspan or Draymond Green's a great example of this. He's six, six, but he has something like a seven foot wingspan, something like that, where they're not, not theoretical height, but they're, they're real. Like they're, when you're playing against them, these are the players that are often described as long. It's because their arms are literally longer, but their height is function. That's the word I was looking for. Their functional height is higher than it is listed. And that can be very helpful because pretty much the taller you are in basketball, the the better it is. So uh, recapping Shangun at 10, Franz Wagner, Wagner, Wagner. I'm sorry. I mean, come on. I'm I'm pretty bad with the names that are easy to say. At nine, uh, Desmond Bain at eight, and then Jokic, the first player on here that is making big money at seven. So he outperformed. I mean, majority of the league on his contract. When you're playing at an MVP level, sometimes I forget he didn't win the MVP. In my mind, he kind of had it locked up. It would have been his third in a row. Obviously, Embiid wins it this year, but Jokic taking his team to the playoffs, winning the championship, just dominating from a scoring and passing standpoint. In terms of, I talk about this all the time, having control of the game, the flow of the game, his ability to control the game and control possessions is among the best that I've ever seen. And it's always really hard when you're comparing a player in their prime to historical players because I think there's something about the past where we mythologize it a little bit and we also know everything about the player, right? We know how Kobe and Michael Jordan aged. We don't know how Giannis and Jokic and Embiid are going to age because again, they're just really not that old yet. So we've seen half of their career and we've seen all their careers, you know, honestly start to peak right now where it's very, very exciting. But I think when you're talking historically, it's hard because you're like, well, how long can you sustain that peak? Because that's such a big part of the argument. Because what makes the greats different from the the very good Hall of Famers, right? Like the difference between the 15th best Hall of Famer and the 78th best Hall of Famer comes down to how long a player's peak was. Like if you think about like Dwight Howard, his peak of probably four years on the Magic, he was one of the best players in the league, took his team to the finals, was extremely dominant but the difference between him and someone you know higher up in the all-time rankings might not be like season per season right i don't know who was better but you know dwight was great for four or five seasons then i had like had some good seasons after that but not at that all-time level and another player might have had you know a seven-year peak something like that so Jokic, it will be interesting to see how he continues to perform i guess we're getting close to the second half of his career now and, you know, really good going into his age 29 season in the heart of his prime and, you know, getting paid big money and still outperforming that contract. So he made 33 million this year, which for an MVP level player is actually a bargain. And he was able to outperform that contract with, I mean, some of the, the best young players in the league. So that was number seven. Number six, Walker Kessler. We're just pumping him up. Utah rookie center came out, had a slow start to the season, and then just started blocking shots at an alarming rate. Great rim protection on offense, a good offensive rebounder. There's some play finishing there. Nothing crazy on offense, but just high efficiency, dunking the ball when it's it's laid down to him around the basket. And just a player to be really excited about. Looks like a building block guy to me 
as a defensive anchor, he might be coming into the league as like maybe one of the next great centers was really exciting. And it's just gigantic. He's huge, which is a big part of his shot blocking game. Uh, outperformed a lot of contracts this year, which is insane defensive value. He was about a league average player on offense, more or less like you. This is the guy you put in the dunker spot in your lineup, right? And he'll finish some plays and he'll get some offensive rebounds. And then the defensive value was just through the roof crazy. So really exciting there. Number five, Tyrese Halliburton guard on Indiana. He had the big breakout year. Him and Laurie Markkinen were kind of neck and neck for winning the most improved player of the year award. And big time playmaker, you know, crazy assist numbers. Defense, not really great, but not like near the bottom of the league or anything like that, but just not, not great. But the offensive engine, you know, give him the ball, run everything through him. He looks like one of the better young players in the league. And it's one of those things where this was year three, he was making $4 million a year. And then he vastly outperforms that, and he is the fifth best player in terms of wins above contract. Because again, if you draft and develop players, I know it's hard. I know you got to hit on the right guys. And I mean, the, he was actually a trade, right? So they traded a pretty good player in Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton. They get him back, they plug him in, and he is the main building block of their team. He's going to be 24 years old next year, and he already looks to be like a fringe all star player. And just outperformed his contract. Crazy, crazy value. Moving on. Number four, another point guard, Darius Garland on Cleveland. He's another guy, primary ball handler, one of the best playmakers in the league. I think him and Halliburton are two of the most uh, exciting young guards in the league. Both going to be 24 next year. And with Garland, his offensive numbers have always looked really good. I think he's slotted in really really nicely as like the second best player where you have your your star player in donovan mitchell who is more of a scorer he can play make but his his bread and butter is just you know a lot of pull-up shots you know getting to the rim hitting threes getting to the free throw line just generating a lot of points and playmaking off that and then darius garland i think has one of the most ideal skill sets for a, a second best player a robin to another player's batman where he is an amazing playmaker he is an amazing three-point shooter. So when you are on the court with your other star player, Garland's able to space the floor, and then he can play alongside a star because he can feed that star because he's a really willing and really talented passer. And then when you need your other star to go to the bench, Garland can run the show because he is, I mean, in my mind, he's similar to Halliburton where they are point guards that, I, I always think of the QB vision in Madden. Remember like the cone? It was like the 2008 QB vision. And basically like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning's cone was basically the entire field. And then, you know, some of the worst quarterbacks, you had to like try to move that little laser around and try to throw it to players. And with Darius Garland and Tyrese Halliburton, they both are just the entire court is in their vision. There isn't a pass they can't make. They are electric. They can, especially Garland, can discard his defender. He can probe the defense. He can kick it to shooters. He can finish uh, or pass to Jared Allen to finish plays around the rim. He can do everything as a passer. Really exciting guy. He was number four in wins above contract. His teammate, Evan Mobley, was number three. He is the uh, power forward on Cleveland. He got some defensive player of the year talk. Had a, a fantastic D-LeBron near the top of the league. I think he was in the top. 
I think he was in the top five in Dealbron. So really, really great stuff. The offense hasn't come with him yet. I think it will. If like you look at a shot, you're like, oh, that looks pretty nice. But that part of his game has not evolved yet, and he's already an all all defensive team guy. So you're gonna outperform your contract. So this was year two for him. He was making about eight and a half million and uh, vastly outperformed that number. So amazing defender, incredible athlete, switchability. It like he looks real. I went through all of his rookie, so all of his possessions where he, his rookie season where he was switched out into a perimeter isolation play. And I, there's not a lot of bigs that look that comfortable out on the perimeter. It felt like he was in control of a lot of possessions. And there was there was times where it was like, uh, like the offensive player is like, no, you don't want this. Like, you don't want this isolation against Evan Mobley. This is not – this is not – pass out of this. This is not what you want as an offense. Uh, number two, Emmanuel Quickly, guard of the – of the New York Knicks. You know, Emmanuel Quickly is a guy we've really been high on. We had him as the rookie of the year in his rookie season. We've really liked his production. Good offensive player, pretty pretty solid defense player, slight positive there. So there's the playmaking, there's shooting. He has unbelievable floater. There's a lot to like. I know he struggled a little bit in the postseason, but as kind of that six-man can be your other ball handler right your secondary primary ball handler or something like that. that's a funny phrase secondary primary ball handler but you know what i mean like you probably don't want a manual quickly to be the guy with like he's not garland he's not halliburton maybe he becomes that i don't know but as of right now he's not that but when he's on the court you do want the ball in his hands and he you know backs up jalen brunson isn't the primary scorer on the team but a big part of their success was his extra scoring punch behind Jalen Brunson, right behind I'm blanking on the, who's the power forward that every year is a different skill level. We don't know if he's an all NBA player, an all-star player, or just a starter, Julius Randall, <laughs> Julius Randall. Uh, so you have Brunson and Julius Randall, obviously doing the, the lion's share of the scoring. And then quickly is that third guy in terms of offensive spark, where when he's playing well, the Knicks are really, really difficult to beat. So he was number two, in wins above contract and then nick claxton at number one i was uh i was on a nets podcast a few weeks ago and i was hyping him up and i also learned that there are a lot of nets fans that don't like nick claxton which is crazy to me he again really switchable had the number one perimeter isolation defense grade of any big in league last season ultra switchable Really, really fantastic rim protection. Looks like a big made for the modern day where, you know, a little bit smaller, you know, on the lighter side. But with that, you get that extra mobility, super fluid mover, um, really good play finisher on offense. Got some real spring in the step and just a fantastic defensive player. So I talk about this all the time. Brooklyn last year in the first half before they made all their trades, it was KD. Kyrie Irving and Nick Claxton all playing at an all-star level where he was in like the running. We did a podcast where he was like maybe the defensive player of the year in the first half of the season. So he ultra, ultra good player that is extremely flexible. And I think going forward, he's one of the more intriguing building blocks in the league for younger players. Because again, he's only, he was 23 last year. It's going to be his age 24 season next year. So yeah, this is a list of basically everybody on the list was under the age of 24. 
that I talked about, except Jokic, he was 28 last season, and then Desmond Bain was 24 last season. So obviously, a lot of young guys, because if you're on your rookie contract, you're able to really outperform things. Guys that just missed the list, John Morant, Scotty Barnes, Brooke Lopez. This is a, a, a guy in his 30s. Um, after that, Sabonis, Herb Jones, Tyler Hero, Anthony Edwards, Tatum. So, you know, there's obviously I could just go down the entire list naming it, but I won't. <laughs> um, but these were the best values in terms of wins above contract where we looked at their LeBron. <laughs> we made a war stat based off that, based on how much they play, their value, uh, basically their, their value and how much how many minutes they play. And then from that, <laughs> we looked at uh, their wins above contract because we looked at how much money they're making, what the ex- expectation is of a value of a player that is making that much money. And then I mean, it's so it's so there's so there's so much to explain on this. It was really funny. So like I said, Gabriel Guzman is the person that put this together, and he was messaging me on Slack. He sent me like multiple paragraphs. He was like, "Oh, hey, I forgot to tell you, I, I threw this together a while ago. I thought you might like it." And I was like, "Oh, I'm very intrigued by this." And then like four paragraphs in of him explaining it, I was like. Yeah, I think I got this. I think I got. I think I'm wrapped around this. Um, but next episode, I think we'll probably talk about the ten worst values this year, and a lot of that's probably going to have to do with injury. But uh, some of it's performance based because I looked at it ahead of time, and uh, you know, people love when you go negative. <laughs> but uh, top ten, I'll run through it one more time: uh, Shangun, Franz Wagner, Desmond Bain, Nikola Jokic, Walker Kessler, Tyrese Halliburton, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley. Emmanuel quickly and Nick Claxton. Those were the 10 best performances relative to contract in 2023. All right. Well, if you got, uh, if you got opinions on this episode on Twitter at Taylor metrics, and we'll see you on the next episode of the basketball index podcast.